0: to help people understand that our brain's nothing more than a massive organic goo. It's a data gathering type of instrument. Takes in all this data from the from all the senses and it's our mind that takes this data in and turns it into thoughts and sh- shapes, shifts, sorts them. And unfortunately, victory our mind is sometimes like a politician if it tells a lie loud enough and long enough sooner or later you begin to believe it all right so what we try to do is help people understand that they do have an i-self that can choose how much of this drama to participate in I i i
1: agree with you but even getting to the point of accepting that as an option is so difficult that i don't even know how to lead the horse to water on that one.
0: Okay. Well, that's another thing we often say, and I use a lot of 12-step analogies. I know you you know that. We often say in the 12-step world, you can lead a horse to water. You can't make them drink. However, you can make them thirsty. So quite often we want to ask ourselves, well, how's my way working? How's my way working? Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Now, how's my turn at the wheel? And we've discussed this before, and I definitely want to speak about to this tonight. Also, is that I try to get across the concept to people that we're spiritual beings; we just happen to be having a human experience, and it's this t- way tie into this human experience that really doodles our life up. And that victory life is absurd. And I usually tell people when you have a good grasp on all those three things. Uh, I'll have more issues at that point than you do, and our our work will be done. I, th- I think I think it can be fun, you know, as
1: absurd. I think I mean, laughing at the absurdity. I think that's really, I mean, that's helped me so much. Like even in my, I just did a, a DBT, a dialectical behavior, behavioral therapy intake um, over at one of the public. New York City hospitals. and You know, I'm making jokes like the whole time because I can't help it. And my favorite joke, which isn't a joke, but it's a joke to me. But my favorite joke was that I took these two tests, right? And one was to assess how depressed I was. And I was like, like not top tier, just below, not severe, but very depressed. And I'm like, well, duh. And then I took this other test, same name on the test. Like, I think it was Beck. Yes. And it was hope. And all of the hopefulness was I was like off the charts. Like I didn't get to see these scores. Right. Uh, I saw the depression score. It was obvious. But the hope score, I mean, just like I can't even imagine what my life would look like in 10 years. Like false. (laughs) My life is amazing. 10 years. ago, Are you kidding? Not ago, but in the future. Like I I have all this hope for my, my hopefulness is just like off the charts, but I'm super depressed. So I guess, I guess that's how I'm not killing myself.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, Beck's uh, revised depression inventory is a pretty standard type of uh, depression assessment that's given to people, but I'm particularly uh, interested in that hope uh, assessment of yours.
1: It was fascinating to me because I would say that all of my answers of like the 10 questions we're, we're wicked hopeful, right down to the really easy one. Like, I don't have hope for the future. No, I have tons of hope for the future that I can't imagine what my life would look like in 10 years. I can tell I can think of so many different ways it would look. And uh, I, I focus on the ways in which it would look good. I'm sure that I could think of ways I would just live in a cardboard box. But why would I focus on that? I mean, I I mean people do actually. People focus on that, I think, way too much when they could be utilizing that time and brain space to focus on how they could own their own home, for example. Like that's where my mind is at. It doesn't have to be where your mind is at. Maybe you just want to have a dog someday
0: and you own your own pet. Sure. It doesn't have to be a whole building. Well, part of positive visualization, Victory, is certainly one way to do it. However, sometimes what I use is a stoic uh, negative visualization type of uh, practice. When somebody tells me, and they imagine this scenario, and I say, okay, let's imagine the worst possible outcome that could occur. And then let you and I step back and determine the realistic probability of that happening. And then yet lets you and I take proactive plans and steps to avoid that happening. So normally, if a person chooses to dwell into negativity, that's generally the type of uh, rod I take. If you commit a crime, you go to a defense attorney. If that defense attorney has any wherewithal about them, first of all, they'll tell you the worst possible thing that could happen to you. Then they're going to say, okay, here's the realistic possibility of that happening, and here's how we're going to be proactive to not make that happen. I find that that helps a lot with people with depression.
1: I do that as well because I have uh, people frequently who reach out to me um, because I'm very vocal about mental health awareness. And uh, so they reach out to me pretty frequently and I am very concerned about the amount of doom that is circulating right now because I'm just not in it. I'm not in doom world. I was in doom world. I was in doom world when it was cool. All right, like, <laughs> <laughs> like pre-pandemic. Like I was goth as fuck, and you know whatever. Uh, I'm still super goth at heart. Um, but the the doom that I see is really concerning me. Um, and, and I think that's why I've gotten even more vocal about uh. mental health stuff. Because I want people to know, like, hey, you can go get help. you can go ahead. There's people to talk to. there's there's phone lines, there's service centers, there are uh, mobile units. There are all kinds of ways to reach out, talk to your friends, talk to your family. Uh, everybody is experiencing something. And even though I'm like, oh, I'm not in the doom, I have my own stuff. I'm just not doomsday about life. Like well, before we started, And you said something like, if shows come back, of course, shows are going to come back. (laughs) Of course, we're going to gather again. Like, there, it'll, it may take varying degrees of time to get there, but there isn't a reality barring straight authoritarian rule. And even then, China is getting along just fine. They're out gathering in China right now because they're so strictly authoritarian and their lockdowns are actually lockdowns which we don't have lockdowns children. Right. We have shutdowns. we have selective shutdowns and we have freedom mostly. Um, I say mostly because some of the guidelines and some of the executive orders I do not agree with. However, uh, we are a lot more we have a lot more freedom of movement. Than possibly, I don't know, any other country on the damn planet right now, at least any country that's dealing with coronavirus. And it really, again, depends on how you look at it and how you perceive the way things are being dealt with. Because perception. Yeah.
0: So, of course, I was teasing you before, but what I often ask people to do, and I know you do the same thing, is to develop a mind of awareness rather than a mind of fear. When we have minds of uncertainty that tends to our minds tend to drift toward anxiety, worry and fear. So we want to help people deal with the uncertainty of the situation and the only way we can do that is to present actual facts which victory that tends to be a uh real issue and before we talked about this uh you and I talked about people having delusional thinking. And that's holding on to firm, fixed beliefs despite solid evidence to the contrary. So, you mentioned that could apply to many people, and I'd like to get your thoughts on that.
1: So, this is a great time to plug my news show. Please. Because I host uh, a weekly podcast that covers primarily coronavirus news. I cover New York City, but I aggregate reports from all over the world on how different localities are reacting to coronavirus uh, in their state, city, country—you know, wherever they're at—and and we do cultural stuff, and we covered the civil unrest as well. So it's we're not necessarily limited to, to COVID-19 coverage, but we do like to focus on it. And I, as a journalist, have a degree in journalism from Edinburgh University. I like to report on COVID facts because there are some, there is some degree of solid reality to the COVID facts, unless uh, you really want to go into conspiracy. It's I'm, I guess for you, not you Jim or you sorg I don't think. but uh, <laughs> for the others I mean if they want to take it there they can. That's the American way. Uh, but I I choose to believe the evidence that is presented to me by the leadership I trust and the leadership I trust is New York Governor Andrew Cuomo and some of the other governors. So the information that we got from the federal government, from the White House, and from President Trump, seems to have been factually, knowingly inaccurate. You know, spell it out. It, there seems to be quite a bit of evidence that President Trump was aware of how deadly the virus was and lied to the American citizens in order to prevent panic huge paraphrase um i don't particularly like that way of going about things and i think that uh that the new york governor did differently i think that he just presented facts and did so calmly and then i believe to a degree new yorkers reacted calmly rationally and and followed risk mitigation however uh there was uh, a run on supplies toilet paper is the big thing that everyone talks about and about half a million people fled the city of new york alone that's just new york city that's not even like the state and uh we were talking about that earlier too and Pardon if I just swear gratuitously, I guess bleep me, but man, no, they're uh... pussies. They just bailed. I have no respect for anyone who just left. And I know, I know that I am like calling out some people that I would probably prefer not to call out by saying that. But wow, <laughs> come on. Even when I got here which was at the peak of the pandemic yes. when we had 800 people dying a day in the state of New York. Uh, I told my friends and family who are absolutely terrified for my life that I felt like it was very likely that I was going through the safest place in the country, if not the safest place in the world. And that is 100% what ended up happening. I'm not even from here. And I knew that
0: and y'all bailed. Come <laughs>
1: on come
0: on sorry not a problem not a problem <laughs> so victory and again i keep using these 12 step references there's a line in the book that says the message that can interest and hold people must have depth and weight so that means that there has to be solid evidence behind the message that you're that you're sharing and what you're telling us is that's what that's what you're presenting
1: I double verify everything that I report on and I do my best to cover laws and numbers, things that are not really up for debate. I'll I'll put my opinion in there because it's difficult not to. Like if I see something that is particularly helpful or particularly egregious, I'll point that out. But if there is a law that I can read the words of the law to the people on my show, which I've done several times, like just read executive orders on my show, Mm -hmm. um, that's pretty factually accurate information. And then uh, when I give people guidelines, you know, what I think helps with risk mitigation, I do that as well. However, with my correspondence, I don't censor them. Um, they're allowed to present the facts in whatever way they want and then add to that whatever way they want. When I say present the facts, I mean they will give the number of COVID deaths, which I know is also disputed, but we generally, we just cite our sources. I have different numbers than I see in the New York Times, for example. The New York Times will use Johns Hopkins. Johns Hopkins is actually my backup. I use Worldometer's. Worldometers has multiple set of sources cited for all of their numbers. Johns Hopkins is just Johns Hopkins. So I like to go to default worldometers myself. Um, My correspondents use different sources. They say what sources they're using. They give us numbers. They tell us what the laws are. And then they may add some op-ed or some further information. But I've had people who uh, I've had anti-maskers on my show I've had Trump supporters on my show. I've had libertarians on my show. Uh, it's, It's very important to me not to just say, hey, I have this factually accurate, unbiased news show. It's just not true. I have a news show that reports in good faith. Everybody on my show believes what they're saying is true. That's about as good as you can get these days.
0: So everyone out there who may be listening to this show says, that sounds great, Victory. How do I access your show?
1: Oh, we're live every Thursday at 1 p.m. on YouTube and Facebook. And you can find them both by searching my name or YouTube.com slash Victory. That's L-I-S-S, Victory. Or Facebook.com slash Music. We might be moving off the Facebook because i mean i i have a lot of friends who are subversives so it seems almost cliche to say i feel like my facebook is being suppressed but anywhere you go in big tech and you talk about things like coronavirus you're gonna get suppressed like that's just kind of a reality okay i mean i can cite sources on that so <laughs>
0: okay Well, earlier today, and we'll put a link up to your site on on our page. Uh, However, we talked about confirmation bias earlier. Uh, And one of the bias, cognitive biases that we all have and share, is the confirmation bias is where we seek out information that confirms our existing belief, mask, no mask, whatever. But you can... it's. In pedestrian world, it's called cherry picking.
1: Oh, you, you can also just find the whole tree if you want. It's <laughs> all there because I'm I'm out there in the fields of cherry trees, looking at all of the cherries.
0: Right. So we want to and really, it is want to uh, stressful. All the cherries, all the cherries. Right. Not just to pick up. Have you ever heard this uh, the saying? That uh, statistics don't lie, but liars use statistics.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm.
0: So one of the ideas is is they you're presenting some information out there, and I don't think I've ever seen the divisiveness in this particular country like I'm witnessing today.
1: I think that it, I, I do think that it's gotten worse. Uh, And I think that it's gotten progressively worse. And I want to say since 2016, but I'm sure I'm sure it was there. And we just weren't aware of it. I've also spent the majority of my life in urban areas. Uh, Even my hometown is a small city. So even that, even though I do find that my friends from my hometown, they have this like conservative lean to them. And I love it because I do, too, because we're from the same place. And like, there's this residual, I don't know, conservatism that comes with it, Mm -hmm. even though we're like hyper liberal uh, artists and stuff like they're talking about guys in metal bands. (laughs) (laughs) It's very funny to me.
0: Well, when we're talking about conservatives, let's say the term conservative 20 years ago would have had an entirely different connotation than it does today.
1: Well, yeah. And then there's like the new right and the new left, which is not to say the alt right or the, but yeah, there's, there's a new right and a new left. That's super fun. I think because they're populist, I would say that that would be a good way to sum up the new right and left or the um, newer, younger conservatives, newer, younger liberals. Not neoliberals, that's different. You want to talk politics with me, you're going to get into music genres. That's how detailed it gets. Cool. Well, Is it and, black metal or is it, is it death metal?
0: Well, I try to simplify things and ask people what's the right thing to do. And as long as you're doing no harm, you can do as you choose. As long as you're doing no one any harm, And what's the right thing to do? How would you like to be treated? How would you like your mother or your father or your brother or your sister or your partner to be treated? And do the same. How would you like to be treated? This simple thing goes back. You know, the Bible's Jesus didn't come up with this either. It's about doing to others as you do unto yourself. Love your neighbor as you love yourself, which tells me that you can only love someone, victory, as much as you love yourself.
1: Well, how about this one? Uh, Do what best takes care of you.
0: Well, and we're throwing cliches around, so I often tell people that what's good for you is good for everyone. Mm. What's good for you is particularly when I deal with mamas, okay? Mamas seem to have this template of being all self-sacrificing, and that's the because that's what a mama should do. And if you don't do that, then you're, somebody picks you up and takes you to mama prison. Um, however, I try to impress upon people, what is good for you is good for everyone around you. What is good for you is good for your children. What is good for you is good for your partner. What is good for you is good for your friends. And that doesn't seem to be, that does, that's a hard concept for people to to grasp, Victory. I can tell a
1: story about that. Please. Uh, I was very involved in the Occupy Wall Street movement in 2011. uh, And I was also borderline homeless, meaning I slept on people's couches and whatnot. I slept in my car uh, and I slept at Zuccotti Park. Uh, This is this story is from Erie, though. My hometown, Erie, Pennsylvania, also slept in Perry Square which they uh which they reconstructed so that people couldn't sleep there anymore after this happened. Nah. <laughs> because I don't know the government is at war with the homeless. Um uh not factually accurate questionable opinion statement. So, uh I saw a woman get hit by a car while I was occupying in Perry Square in Erie, Pennsylvania. And I had, like, you know, everything on my back and in, in a backpack. I had this huge backpack that I took everywhere I went. And uh, I, there wasn't anything I could do. I was pretty much left helpless. And then this woman, this, like, suburbanite woman with this huge SUV, uh, at, at the very least because it was cold outside, step one, hey, come sit in my car. Get out of the cold right? So like step two was, do we call 911? Step three was the hospital is like literally three blocks from here. We're just going to take you to the hospital in the giant SUV that first gave you shelter. And when I saw all of this happening, I realized how ill-equipped I was to help others because I myself was destitute and in such a bad, uh, situation So my financial situation not being good has kind of been a running theme for all of my adult life. And part of why I've come to New York, uh, one of the most expensive and greatest cities in the world, uh, is because I I very much intend to change that. And it does seem that most of the things I set out to do, I accomplish. Whether or not it ends up being fun, as I thought it was, or just a total shit show, (laughs) I do manage to get it done. So we'll see. I'm very confident.
0: So you're making choices and you're dealing with what's right in front of you. And as always, you're participating in the process without just focusing on the outcome.
1: Yes. So in the story, the woman who had a car, I don't want a car. But you know, she had a foundation with which she could help the other woman who was hurt. Mm -hmm. So uh, I would like to have a family, and I my whole life has basically been. uh, I want to say that okay. Here, let me phrase it this way: I have wanted to live a life of service, but I think. I have not been executing that as effectively as I should have been because I was abandoning myself and I wasn't taking care of myself. And I was replacing that with other people. And that's not how one properly lives a life of service. By life of service, I just mean helping others. All of my goals with all of my art has always been oh, if I could just help one person. And then I did. And I was like, well, how many more people can I help? Yeah. And I- I want to help everyone. I want to help the world. I want to change the world. I want to make the world a better place. And that's all well and good. But if you're starving while you're trying to do it or you can't, you're, if you don't help yourself, then you're setting yourself up for failure by being ill-equipped to put forth the effort to help others. If you're, not, if you're starving, your brain can't think to have a conversation with someone who's reaching out to you because they think that they'd be better off dead, which happens to me very regularly. Yes. The reaching out, not so much the starving part. I'm eating pretty well these days. Don't panic, everyone.
0: Okay. So breaking news, I'm going to refer back to 12-step recovery. Two purposes to 12-step recovery. Number one, stay clean and sober. Number two, carry the message. That's it. So what does number one say that it's okay to be selfish and self-centered about your own recovery because you need you cannot carry a message if you don't have one.
1: Yes, this syncs up very well with what I I'm uh, working on myself as well as trying to, deliver this message to others because i know a lot of people who are suffering and a lot of people who are
0: struggling yes and please check out our website at fishingwithoutbait.com where you can listen to the show comment on our discussions and find out where you can subscribe to our podcast if you're interested in flying the colors of fishing without bait click the shop icon on our website we have clothing, mugs, cell phone cases, and so much more. Show the world that you fish without fake. This show is a member of the Sorgatron Media Podcast Network. Find out more at sorgatronmedia.com.